0: Chapter 8 of Betty Baird's Ventures by Anna Hamlin Weichel. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Holly Jensen. Chapter 8 A New Scheme and a Dory Race. Why don't you start a garden? asked the clammer boy. A garden so late in the summer? Who ever heard of such a thing? But I do want to plan one for next year, answered Betty, with the assurance of a girl who had seen John, their farmer, do the early planting of a vegetable garden on shares. Lots of people. I, for one, replied the clamor boy calmly, I'm doing a great deal of planting just now, and I will help you if you want me to. I'd love to have a dear little garden with peas and corn, and potatoes and red tomatoes, too but really is n't it too late no not for fall vegetables I'm beginning to plant purple top turnips to-day i had cabbages there this spring and i expect to have the turnips ready for the table by the middle of august after that i shall plant winter beets my what a lot you know exclaimed betty flatteringly how in the world did you learn all that i certainly must begin at once It's so interesting where shall I begin? she asked, starting off towards the garden that had been cultivated on the lines of old garden lore for several generations. I take a magazine that tells me when and how to do everything. I'll lend it to you. John can do the hard work, and you can plan and watch and make money. I do. Make money! those words threw a spell over poor betty who had grown weary looking into the little glass window of their letter-box in the post-office and at the array of pickles on the pantry shelf oh mother she cried almost running into mrs baird and lois in her eagerness to get to the vegetable garden we have such a good plan i am going to make heaps and heaps of money and i won't have to wait until the pears are ripe enough to preserve either i am going to start a garden the very thing exclaimed lois i'll help i'll make a grand digger i am sure but isn't it rather late mrs baird asked with interest not at all craig is planting purple top isn't that a pretty name purple top turnips now we don't care much for turnips suggested mrs baird doubtfully i love turnips especially raw ones lois declared i will buy them from betty mrs baird and sell them to our grocer said craig with the air of an established commission merchant and betty can sow sweet corn and early valentine beans he added learnedly and i can sow cabbages said betty and winter carrots said craig and cucumbers said betty and eclipse beets said craig and reap money finished betty triumphantly how mercenary my little girl is growing laughed mrs baird well betty defended herself one of those political economy men in a lecture at the pines said that when we received money for our work we had one big proof that we are efficient bet you will be on the platform yet teased lois what else can we plant craig betty asked now full of fervor at the thought of making a start in life even if it were through the vegetable garden you can plant winter celery on the land from which you harvest your early corn from which you harvest your early corn quoted lois banteringly that sounds very much like your garden magazine craig and betty you know hasn't any early corn you're right craig said laughing good-naturedly i read the magazine over so often that i suppose i do often string em out in the very words that is the only way to learn anything answered lois harvest repeated betty with a smile of poetic joy and not heeding the friendly little tilt between lois and craig i did n't have any idea such pretty words were used in in huckstering certainly huckstering is not a very romantic name said mrs baird as you say betty planting and sowing and reaping and harvesting are poetical i don't see why one can't use pretty words as well as ugly ones when they are appropriate without people thinking you are affected i love to say plaisance instead of backyard i think we must all yield individual taste in small matters now and then for it is a duty to be agreeable as long as it is consistent with one's conscience said mrs baird taking betty's hand and stroking it lovingly to take away any preachiness in her words now mother said betty laughing you know there is no danger of my becoming eccentric father said last night that young people were fond of experimenting i must go now and get ready for our dory race said craig suddenly starting towards the gate it begins at three o'clock aren't you and betty and lois coming he asked mrs baird of course we will come cried betty and lois in a breath while mrs baird said i shall be pleased to come shall we wear your colors i shall have a red jib said craig good we will know him by the cut of his jib cried betty we'll have red ribbons in some conspicuous place but your lifesaver is to sail in the race said craig betty clasped her hands dramatically in gratitude that marble-hearted fiend shall never dwell in this heart i retract i show no favors not even for purple top turnips and early valentine beans well he did n't save your mother's life nor lois's and i will look for some red ribbons anyhow said craig three o'clock found betty rowing her mother and lois to the yacht clubhouse where they could sit on the veranda and watch the races betty was rowing in fine style she was very fetching in her blue sailor suit while her hair flew and blew radiantly in the brisk southerly breeze that was filling the spotless sails of the dories seven dories were entered for the race look cried betty leaning over the balcony rail don't the sails way off there look exactly like a tents look like a tents exclaimed lois how do they look like a tents and what tents present past or future goose responded betty present tents of course aren't they present out there and aren't we tense with excitement here but don't you really know what an a-tent is no i don't confessed lois much to my present and intense sorrow and humiliation now wise one tell me what it is an a-tent miss bird i would have you remember is a tent whose front and back too is triangular like an a and that is precisely what those leg-of-mutton sails out there look like what vast learning mocked lois and bubbling over with fun the girls watched eagerly for the start swiftly came the dories tearing through the water before the freshening wind as the starting gun sounded the red jib is leading cried betty stretching forward excitedly to see then quickly drawing back as she found herself obstructing the view of a very handsome and distinguished-looking woman of middle age please pardon me said betty turning to her don't change your position for i can see perfectly answered the stranger she smiled and added i am watching my son's boat that makes it more fascinating said betty blushing as the older woman gazed into her face with evident interest do you know i believe i have heard of you my son knows you said the lady smiling brightly betty looked puzzled i'd love to know him she said smiling too yet somewhat at a loss for an answer then she colored when she realized what she had said she felt that this lovely woman's son would be well worth knowing but that she had been too intense in her expression for conventionality yes you know my son said the lady smiling kindly into the sweet face may i ask his name betty was at length driven to say he's called jack by nearly everyone jack brooks betty shook her head negatively while she looked down at the water as if some recollection might be borne up to her out of its blue depths it seemed positively rude not to remember him mrs brooks saw her predicament and hastened to relieve her you may not have heard his name i shall be more circumstantial you have a pony cart and a frolicsome pony now do you remember remember cried betty mirthfully now my mother will have an opportunity to thank you she thinks i was not sufficiently grateful and perhaps acted a little tomboyish both turned to mrs baird and betty had barely time to name her mother and lois before someone cried they are rounding the stake boat mrs brooks and betty leaned forward in time to see jack's story come about in fine style and a few yards ahead of the others the red jib of the clammer boy a close second in spite of her declaration of neutrality betty had come with the intention of waving a red ribbon for her favorite but now with mrs brooks so near she hesitated to display partisanship whose boat is that with the red jib asked mrs brooks craig ellsworth's he is a boy of eighteen a neighbor of ours answered betty then you must feel especially interested in him mrs brooks said i did betty stopped short in her explanation until you found i had a special interest finished mrs brooks nodding appreciatively that is kind of you but it adds zest to a race for the spectators to be divided so keep to the red jib and i shall wave my harvard colors for my son the dories ran close to the clubhouse and betty saw jack look up to the balcony as his mother waved her cheering little flag then his eyes met betty's and she fancied she saw a look of disappointment come across his handsome face when his eyes fell on the flaming red ribbon the color of craig's jib which was hanging from her hand over the railing the clammer boy was close at hand and looking up he too saw betty and before tacking, waited a second to swing his cap in acknowledgment of the red ribbon which she was waving vigorously both boats had waited too long the third dory the one with the black hull tacked briskly and sped away in the lead with triumph written in every line of the triangular sail oh moaned betty i made them lose they looked up here and craig waved his cap and mr brooks was so surprised to see us talking that he hesitated oh dear don't be worried child said mrs brooks they are making up for the lost time mrs brooks was right slowly but surely the two dories overhauled the black hull and when the second round began they were drawing away from it with jack's boat still leading by a few lengths on the last leg of the course however craig's superior seamanship was in evidence for years he had made that harbor his playground he knew every point where the tide was a hindrance where a help exactly how close he dared cut the point which they must round without grounding his centre-board where the breezes were freshest and where they were most likely to be reduced by the trees ashore this last leg was a beat against a breeze that was constantly stiffening and in the handling of his boat that day in tacking at the proper time and in running her almost into the wind's eye he won praises from the old sailormen who watched the race with that air of superiority which they always assume towards these amateur affairs when his dory crossed the finish line with three good lengths of clear water showing between her and jack's boat he was received with hearty hand clapping from the balcony and even more hearty cheers from the throng of small boys who lined the shores and who were especially delighted to see one of their own number beat the big bugs as they expressed it but none congratulated him more heartily and more sincerely than jack brooks who caused him to blush furiously by wringing his hand and congratulating him on his fine seamanship then insisting on presenting him to his mother in honor of his victory betty gave him the red ribbon she had been waving and he declared that he never would use anything but a red jib thereafter End of chapter eight Recording by Holly Jensen